Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Natalie Dulibra of Fairbanks, Alaska. Natalie will get a marathon decal showing that she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Molly McCain, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedure, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedure. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at SVU Season 7, Episode 21, Web. How can a kid run a business like this? A minor shooting kiddie porn. That's a no one. Joining me to do that is true crime author and the host of the podcast Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting podcast, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you for inviting me to your playhouse, Kevin. I appreciate it. Oh, that is so <laughs> creepy. <laughs> and rounding out our panel is our special guest from the upcoming HGTV and Me podcast, <laughs> Molly McCain. Hey, Molly. Hi, Kevin. And Hi, my, Rebecca. And my BFF, by the way. Yes. Apparently, the only people you know how to get on podcasts, you're either friends with or married to. Exactly. That's pretty much how it works. That's pretty much how we keep the cost down. <laughs> now, Molly, you're actually one of the few guests that we've had who's actually an attorney. You've been to law school. I have. How would your professors rate the performance of these DAs that you see in Law & Order? I think that my professors probably would not be very impressed with the ethics of a lot of the people <laughs> on Law & Order. It's definitely questionable. There's some disbarable conduct. But overall, the big thing with Law & Order that's different from real life is how fast it moves. Like these cases would take two, three, four years to get to trial. Yeah, instead it's Wednesday. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we investigated it. We're done. We're actually still investigating, but you're going to trial anyway. So it's always amazing to me too how like the cops are always in court. Like they have nothing else to do. Like we see them all the time. They're busy all the time. Yet they can go and sit at these like super long trials that ostensibly happened months later, and they're just there the whole time. Well, and oddly, they never sequester the witnesses. <laughs> so Briscoe's in the back of the courtroom watching everyone else's testimony, and of course he knows what to say when he gets up there. It's it's not. Not really very realistic. Right. And mom and the victim and everybody else. Everybody's there. But I wouldn't let real life get in the way of a good episode. No. <laughs> Otherwise, no. no, you would never be able to watch the show ever. Yeah, yeah. Now, Molly, I know we, you can't give names and details, but along the way, in the civil courts, you have had cases involving defendants accused of sexually based offenses. I have. How creeped out were you by that? Uh, I was sexually harassed by a couple of my clients. That's always fun. Oh, God. Um, 
and I defended things like fraternity date rape. Most of my stuff was workplace. I have an incredibly illustrious criminal defense background. I don't know if you knew about that. No, I actually did not know that. No, my biggest criminal case was a guy who did not return his rental skis to... (laughs) (laughs) And then when they called him out on it, he bounced the check to... And he was thrown into the county jail, and I had to go visit him there all the time. We tried to plea it out for a misdemeanor. The judge rejected the plea, and I had to try this case. And that was the end of my criminal career. <laughs> oh, my God. Were you, did you get an acquittal? Uh, we did get an acquittal. Ooh, she's the Jack um, McCoy of County. Well, an acquittal, but because they overshot. Like, said, these rental skis are worth, you know, $2,000. They were these old, junky rental skis. You know, they no threw them in debtor's prison. He was kind of a strange guy. He actually liked being in the county jail. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah it was so a he wasn't happy case. with your performance. What do you mean I got to go free? <laughs> I just I didn't have what it took to be a criminal lawyer. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, you've made the right choice by being a guest on uh, several podcasts. That's a good <laughs> exactly. Move. It's very lucrative. I just bought my new Bentley from my podcasting career. <laughs> oh. Very exciting. Now, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. My favorite detective team is Briscoe. And I'm torn between Mm -hmm. Benjamin Bratt and Chris Noth. Like, I love them both, but I have to fall on the side of Logan. Yeah, yeah, that's a very popular choice. Yeah, he's my favorite. Yeah, Mr. Big and Lenny. Yeah, yeah. And not my choice, but it is a popular one. I agree. I agree that it's popular. You have to concede the fact. <laughs> no, no, it's classic, right? They're like they're like they're not the original OG recipe cops, but they're as close to it as most of us remember because when the show became popular, it was kind of that era, right? When like lots of people started watching the show. Yeah, and who doesn't love a cop in a long brown leather jacket? <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think that is my nostalgia for law school. Like in law school, we all watched Law and Order all the time, and I think we thought this is where we were headed. Like this is going <laughs> to be so Christ. great. I'm going to have gorgeous clothes, and I'm going to have you know sexy do- cops. Oh, of course. Well, lo and behold, it's not like that at all. Like the real law and order would just be a tired person in a room full of paper, you know, waiting for something to happen. (laughs) But I love them. But what I want to know is, was there ever a law and order where it was Briscoe and Ice tea? No. No. See, that would be perfect. That yeah. would be, yeah. It would be incredible, That actually. would be chocolate and peanut butter. The, one, the one-liners, yeah. would they ever get any work done? It would just be like constant one-liners. Would... <laughs> See, <laughs> looks like somebody has another one-liner. No, but they've, they've had plenty of Briscoe and Munch. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I'm not as big a Munch fan. Like, I like him, but really iced tea is what makes Munch for me. Like, I like the Munch iced tea coupling. Um, but Briscoe and Ice-T would have been perfect. And I was too lazy to find out if there'd been an episode. I figured I would just ask the experts. <laughs> now, in your professional opinion, who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Oh, this is very complicated for me because uh, when I started watching, it was um, Claire Kincaid. It was Claire Kincaid. And I loved her. I thought she had it all together. She was really professional. But I ended up, by the end of law school, really loving Carrie Lowell, you know, Mm -hmm. Richard Mm -hmm. Gere's ex-wife. I loved her so much that I very badly made this decision. It was terrible to cut my hair like hers. (laughs) And I didn't have... I remember that. I bet you do. I loved Carrie Lowell. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. And if I'm going to be taken seriously... I had to hack off all my hair. Uh, And I did. And I had neither the gravitas, height, nor cheekbones to carry (laughs) off that look. And it didn't really work out well for me. And I liked that whole era until they went into the Abby Carmichael, like Texan, super conservative 
I wasn't buying that. I, I'm just glad that your hairstyle wasn't inspired by Robinette. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I definitely couldn't carry that one. <laughs> but one thing I didn't like about all those ladies is they all had to work with Sam Watterson, and they all seemed to be mildly in love with him. And I actually think he's kind of creepy. I don't love him. He's unethical. He's kind of mean. I, I didn't have a thing for him, and I was not buying. Like, he argues his, like he has Parkinson's. He's just kind of angry all the time. Yeah. And I wasn't buying the alleged romance with Claire. I totally did not see that as a real thing. Well, we didn't actually ever see it at all. It was always hinted at, and it became a thing that once you knew about it, you could not see it. But you never actually right. saw them macking out or anything like that. No, Mm-mm. because ew. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's take a look at the first half of this episode, SVU Season 7, Episode 21, Web. Now, remember, we're going to be talking about fictional detectives investigating a fictional sex crime against fictional people. If you find that especially heinous, you can try another one of our episodes. Is that code for if you don't like us laughing when we talk about child molesters, perhaps this isn't the episode for you? You shouldn't be watching SVU (laughs) in the first place if that's a trigger. And let me throw in that if you don't find this particularly heinous, you should go to a psychiatrist (laughs) and find out what's wrong with you. Well, this episode begins with a puppet show. Warning children about sexual abuse. It's adorable. Because nothing instills confidence in a young victim than a large person with their hand inside a small person (laughs) controlling everything they say. (laughs) Oh, God. When it comes out that little Jake may have been molested, Mom says, not again. This isn't the first time that Jacob's been abused. Not Jake, Teddy, his older brother. What happened? Uh, While I was pregnant with Jake, I caught my ex-husband touching Teddy. While I was carrying his child, he was raping our son. Did you report the abuse? He pled guilty to sodomy. He got 10 years. He was out in seven. It was a joke. Teddy was a happy, loving child until his sick father stuck his hand down his pants. He ruined Teddy's life, and now he's going to destroy Jake's. But Dad says he's never touched Jake. The DNA test shows the saliva on Jake's junk came from his big brother. When Stabler and Finn go to Teddy's high school, the walls are covered with sexy photos that students found on his own porn site, Teddy's Treehouse. He's been making tens of thousands of dollars off of pedophile subscribers and now has made Little Jake part of the show. The cops want to go after Teddy's many subscribers, but the feds have different plans. They want to charge the teenager for making child pornography. Stapler goes to Teddy's house to bring him in, but the kid escapes out the window and vanishes. Well, folks, I can say that the debate has finally been settled mm-hmm. as to whether puppet shows about being touched actually work. How did you feel when your mom's boyfriend touched you like that? I felt sad. I thought it was my fault, but it wasn't. Now, whenever Sabrina gets touched in an unsafe way, she'll say no, then go. And what will you do if you're ever touched in an unsafe way? Yeah. Uh, they've been settled because one kid narked out another kid and said that other kid was touched? Because that's basically what happened. Jake didn't, like, come through it himself. It was the other kid that said that Jake says that touching weenies feels good or whatever he said. And that worked, I guess, right? I guess so. (laughs) I guess it justified all those federal grants that they got. Do you think, like, these puppeteers got, like, special training? I hope so. I have to say, guys, we've been friends for so long, and from the first two seconds of this episode... I wondered what I did to piss you off because I hate puppets. I was just at your house like last week doing another podcast. I thought maybe it didn't turn out very well and this is their way of torturing me. (laughs) I couldn't get over the fact that I had to watch this thing about puppets. In fact, my notes are very astute. Ew, 
puppets. Is what I <laughs> and why did you pick me for this? I want to say no, Venga. <laughs> I want to say no, <laughs> So I now that I've gotten that off my chest and you're smiling, I feel like maybe you're not mad at me. Um, wow. Wow. That was definitely a cold open like I've never seen on Law & Order. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. was something. It really was. <laughs> Go ahead. Move on. Moving along. So now, in order to rule Dad out as a culprit, they give him a polygraph. Right. Rebecca, what did you think of the quality of this polygraph? <laughs> There's nothing I like more than a polygraph exam in which the polygraph examiner gives a big old head nod or mm-hmm. head shake when she thinks the person's telling the truth and lying. I was expecting her to do like the Roman emperor thumbs up, thumbs down <laughs> situation because it was just so heavy handed and ham fisted and dumb the way the whole thing went down. Plus, the questions were kind of dumb. And let's talk about the fact they were doing that polygraph every week. <laughs> Who, who's paying for this? So they're paying all these civil servants to do a polygraph. You've got to be an expert. These guys are hard to book. You don't just call one up and have him show up in an hour. Every every week he shows up and they say, did you molest anybody? No. Okay. Bing. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is that, you know, we know, mm-hmm. the three of us know, that polygraphs are kind of bullshit and completely inadmissible, right? Yeah, because you've got some lady behind you going, mm-mm, 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 mm-hmm, <laughs> Well, inadmissible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they're unreliable. Right. So... The fact that they hooked this guy up to the polygraph, I was shaking my head. What is going on? Yeah, but then the entire time he's doing it, was it Ice-T who was like, he's he's trained himself to trick the polygraph. Well, then why are you giving it to him to begin with? <laughs> right. Like, If you think everything he says is BS anyway, like, why are you all standing there watching this happen? Well, and you wouldn't register the shock if every single week they're like, did you molest your kid? Yes. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's going to be able to figure out, oh, gee, my pulse races. Wait a minute. I can probably figure out how to bust this thing. Now, Teddy is outed at school by the editor of the school newspaper, (laughs) part of his big expose. This is what I want to know. Where the hell can you access a child porn site from the school newspaper office and then print a couple hundred colored copies to hang in the hallway? Here's what I want to know. The cops showed up at the school to find all these pornographic photos hung everywhere. Uh But that's not why they were there. They were there to pick up Teddy, right? Yeah. Why did no one at the school call the cops when there were hundreds of pornographic photos hung up all over the school, right? It, it must have taken that kid a long time. He had things hanging from the ceiling. He needed a ladder. <laughs> you know, he it, it just Those and, copies were expensive. Yep. Like they were everywhere. I can't even check my Powerball numbers at work. So why this school lets you on child porn is a completely open question. First Amendment. Remember the kid cites his First Amendment his defense. First Amendment rights. As a, as a journalist. My know. favorite one-liner in the show. Hanging those pictures is not a crime. I know my rights. I'm in journalism. You're in puberty. You're in puberty. <laughs> <laughs> loved it. I loved it. And the self-righteous journalism kid reminded me of all the self-righteous one-year law students that we all are when you go to law school. So any of you 1Ls out there, you don't actually know anything. You don't want the police to pull you over and search your car just because you know your rights now to tell them no. <laughs> so it just reminds me of that. The whole show just makes me nostalgic. Uh, we need a drum roll. It's our very special guest star, Kate Mulgrew. That's right. Yeah. U.S. Attorney, right? Who yeah. wants to take Teddy down. Yeah, that's U.S. Attorney Donna Grayson. Of course, we know her as Captain... Captain Janeway. Janeway from Star Trek Voyager. And she plays Red in Orange is the New Black. Yeah, she's amazing. Kate Mulgrew is. Her voice. It's like every morning she wakes up, downs seven-fifths of scotch, smokes eight packs of cigarettes, and then shows up on set. Her voice is incredible. That boy is making child porn. Justice doesn't care if he's 14 or 44. We're building a case against him for over a year now, and your guns step in and rush our move. Excuse me? 
You heard what I said. Well, and the moment she walked in was the moment that I started feeling like maybe you guys didn't pick this because you hate me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, Kate Mulgrew is here to fix everything. But it's another one of those special guest stars where she walks in and talks to them as if she's been there before and she's going to come back again. But I don't think she's ever been on the she show. She never did. She was the one time. <laughs> what, it, a, what, a, what a waste, It was right? like Bernadette Peters and she came on. It's like uh, they have this, oh, good to see you again, my arch nemesis. <laughs> that I've never seen before. I've never seen before. <laughs> um, we do have a, a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Does anyone recognize the actor who played recurring character computer tech Ruben Morales? One in five kids is sexually solicited while online. Can we use the internet against these pervs to track down Teddy subscribers? No, I tried. These guys are smart. They use offshore ISPs that don't respond to our subpoenas. No. No, okay, that actor is Joel De La Fuente. Mm-hmm. And he plays the evil Inspector Kido on Man in the High Castle. Uh, which we watched, yep. Yeah, yep. super evil guy. Mm-hmm. But he's been on SVU, like, he's only been on like 50 episodes. This was like a long recurring character of somebody who apparently had like crazy chat skills. Yeah, and does tech support and <laughs> fight club. Right. And knows just what to say to lure a child molester. Like we got to talk about that the second half, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's uh, peak on order. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, one more. Does anyone recognize actress Jennifer Bernhardt? Who Who did she play in the episode? She played the main puppeteer. All right. I thought it was my fault, but it wasn't. It was his fault. That's what a counselor at my school said. She helped me when I told her what happened. I was going to wondering this, and I didn't look it up. Uh-huh. She has to have been like an Avenue Q or something like that, right? Because that is a very specific skill. Yes. Well, <laughs> she was on Avenue Q, but she is right now known for playing Zoe on Sesame Street. Huh. Like and the puppet Zoe? The puppet Zoe. The... Who we never see the person's face who plays the puppet Zoe. Right. That's why they're Muppets. <laughs> They like the Sesame Street crossovers, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you know what one of the reasons is? is because Sesame Street and SVU are shot in the same studio mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. So they're like down the hall. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, the same facility or whatever. I mean, they're not sharing the same, you know, interrogation room for... Uh, <laughs> Finding <laughs> bodies behind Oscar the Grouch's garbage can. I mean, that little street there, that would be like something, you know, like... On, on a stoop. very special episode. <laughs> I, I did like Carvel Wallace, our guest a couple weeks ago, guessing that maybe that this, they have a shared universe, SVU and Sesame Street. No, they have a shared parking lot. Yeah, apparently they do. That is interesting. So that so you think that like the casting directors, they just were able to walk over and audition for these little roles now and then? They said, we need to find a puppeteer. Where do we go? You have to wonder like if that was a chicken egg thing where they were like, oh, we know a puppeteer. Let's write a scene for that. Because that seems like something these writers would do, right? They could have done this show without the puppet show. <laughs> you think? I would have liked it better, <laughs> I, personally. <laughs> So Teddy's like, hey, I'm making big coin doing this show. No matter how bad it gets or how depraved or how humiliated I am. Rebecca, doesn't this this sound like a bunch of podcasts we know? Yes, it does sound like a bunch of podcasts we know. Rolling in bank and just continuing on anyway for their friends on the Internet. But I did have an issue with the amount of money they talked about. It was like 30 grand a month, which is not chump change. And it was an online money that he could use to buy other things. But then the only evidence we saw of it was some crap in his, like, squalid man cave apartment. All the pizzas he had. Yeah. Like, where is all that dough going? That was my question. You guys have teenagers. Like, I have teenagers at home. I know if they have an extra 20 bucks. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, like, where'd you get that 20 bucks? Where'd you get that hot dog? How'd you buy that? (laughs) Exactly. 
exactly. <laughs> and the answer is usually like, oh, from your wallet. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, I had it. You mean right. you had it by stealing it from my wallet, right? Right. So <laughs> the idea that this kid like rents an apartment and is getting all this money rolling in and mom isn't noticing a thing. Like he's not accidentally wearing his cool new sneakers home. He's keeping everything at the trashy apartment. I just wasn't buying that. Yeah. Maybe it's because his mom is too distracted by being discount Jenny Garth. Did she not look like discount Jenny Garth? She looked like Jenny Garth. Yes. But not quite Jenny not, Garth. That's hence why she would be. Yes. Hence the discount. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to ask, why do they even need Teddy? I mean, they've got like his website, all of his subscribers. Mm-hmm. Why are they bending over backwards kissing his ass? Because Stabler, in a rare moment of compassion, actually feels bad for a perp. Like, Stabler, like, shockingly, like, this never happens. Stabler has, like, no empathy toward anyone who's committed any kind of sex crime, even if they're a child. But for some reason, Teddy, you know, he's got the feels for him. I think because he was also a victim, you know, when he was a kid. And and Stabler feels like, you know, his, like, dad thing goes into gear. And he's like, I can help this kid. So I think that's the main reason why. I really do. I think it's realistic that the feds would want to take Teddy down. And I think in the real world, that's probably exactly what would have happened. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. But why take him down when he's going to go to juvenile hall for a couple of years and then be right back out? Like, this is taking him down is completely pointless. I actually didn't believe that my girl, Kate Mulgrew, was going to make that kind of procedural <laughs> error. Because they can't try him for it twice. They might as well get him to flip on these Thousands of pervs that are just roaming New York, apparently. Uh, You know, hug your children, tuck them in. Doctors, teachers. And this mom who was so worried about her kid having 10 minutes alone. You know, the sister, the the sister of the ex-husband says, well, what can happen in 10 minutes? Well, (laughs) mom apparently doesn't notice when these guys are missing for hours. (laughs) Streaming live porn to people. Like, where does she think they are? I have no idea. I was concerned about letting Jake go to this puppet show. But, uh, Teddy, well, we'll see you at dinner, right? (laughs) Exactly. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. When you support us at Patreon at just $5, you will get exclusive content like the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, Laura's Rage Walk, the Crime Writers on After Show, and Married with Podcast with Rebecca and me. Start getting your exclusive perks for just $5. Join our own elite squad at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. That's patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Now let's look at the second half of this episode. Cannot wait. Unable to find Teddy, the squad learns that his many pedophile fans are working together to keep him from the cops. Airports and stations are looking for him. He's not getting out of the city. He will if he has help. Printouts of recent chat activity on the message board at Teddy's treehouse. I've been monitoring it all day. A user named SunshineGuy9000 posted, Teddy at the nest. Help is on the way. Any leads on Sunshine Guy? Not yet. Service providers are still fighting our subpoena. Let me get this straight. Teddy ran away from home after pedophiles made plans on his website to help him. Look at the post right before Sunshine Guys. Funfella13 says, gotta help Teddy. And Sunshine Guy says help is on the way. They're working together. Stabler and Morales pose online as a teenager and lure <laughs> one of Teddy's fans into a meeting. He tells them where the kid has been secretly shooting Teddy's treehouse, but he's not there. They find a copy of his last show in which an unknown figure appears on camera chloroforming Teddy and carrying him away. 
With nowhere else to turn, Stabler visits the recently transferred and obviously pregnant behind that desk, Olivia Benson. <laughs> Looking for some time away from SVU, she's now working at the department's terrorism Apple Genius Bar, <laughs> learning all sorts of unconstitutional ways to track bad guys. She locates one subscriber working in a hospital. They follow him to an internet cafe and pinpoint the apartment where Teddy's being held. Stabler kicks in the door and gets into a pretty awesome fight with the kidnapper. <laughs> Having been rescued from his ordeal, Teddy now sees the error of his ways, putting his trust in an army of online pedophiles. <laughs> the U.S. attorney has a change of heart, too. She'll grant Teddy immunity on the kiddie porn charge in exchange for his testimony against his thousands of subscribers. Subscribers. Well, it looks like the SVU team has got skills posing as vulnerable online teenagers. <laughs> they got it down pat. There were so many constitutional law violations like crammed into seven minutes. We have entrapment. Yep. We have like an illegal search and seizure. We had some excessive use of force. Do they really need to pummel that guy? But can we just talk about like the violations of the code of grammar that we all live by <laughs> and the cool. way that cool, K-E-W, cool, LOL. But how else are you supposed to convince someone that you're 15 and, you know, DTF. Well, my, my favorite part of that whole scene where Stabler is Afraid dictating. Yeah, H-E-R-T. Oh, but over it real quick. <laughs> yes. Yes. My, my, my favorite is Stabler dictating to that guy uh, as they're doing this plan. Like, first of all, guys, you should have come up with a plan beforehand. You don't, yeah. like, come up with a plan as you're doing the plan. Yeah. But then he's like, pretend to be a 15-year-old boy. Go in, post as a 15-year-old boy. Hey, what's up? I'm Brad. Here we go. Let's know if you have a girlfriend. Tell me I don't like girls. Girls, yuck. Tell them that you're a virgin, but, you know, laugh it off. Laughing out loud, yeah. You say you like older guys, but you're afraid it'll hurt. I can show you how so doesn't hurt and is great. Sicko thinks he's operating to flower a 15-year-old. Agree to it. And then he's like, all right, say this. All right, say that. And he's like, I'm afraid it's going to... It was absurd and hilarious. But were they just in some like soccer chat room that allegedly teenagers? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do I need to revisit my whole parenting plan? Because I do not think my kids hang out in soccer chat rooms, yeah. do they? And I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, you would think that the parenting advice would be like, don't talk about liking girls on the internet. Apparently, what you're supposed to say is never say you don't like girls on the internet. Right. Yeah. Because then some guy's going to try to get with you and you're going to agree to it in 30 seconds. And the guy is not going to think that's suspicious at all. <laughs> and he's going to go and meet you that night. <laughs> At this point in the show, my 16-year-old Henry walked in the room just watching the scene, and he's like, yeah, everyone would know that was cops. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. He said it's just like when on Yik Yak and other apps here in town, all of a sudden there's a post that says... From some kid that nobody knows. <laughs> hey, guys, right. cool party going on down at the fields. We've got some dank weed. <laughs> that's cops. Exactly. 100% that's yeah. cops. I do like how they did have to translate for the mainstream audience audience you know he's like laughing out loud lol lol don't want you to fall behind 54 to 65 demographic <laughs> yeah it's pretty great now as they watch the episode of teddy's treehouse as it begins we hear a door open off camera and he's like someone's coming to the treehouse oh hi surprise visitor what's going on looks like someone's coming to the treehouse <laughs> as if that happens a lot on the show i'm thinking Please don't have that high quality of production value where they're like guest stars that come on and it's like, It's oh, a very special guest star. Uh, it's the pizza man. 
the thing that got me was like, is chloroform still a thing? That's a, Who well, gets where do you get chloroform? Where does one procure that? That's what I was thinking. Where do you buy it? Like Home Depot? <laughs> I don't know. You subscribe to a whole other website, I guess. Yes. So here's my question about the whole like treehouse setup, right? Yeah. yeah. These guys like know where the treehouse is. Yeah, they have keys. Why have a video <laughs> channel? Why not just be a hooker? You know, like what's the whole point of having a video channel if it's going to be in a real place that people know where it is and they can just get oh, to you? But he's making hella money from people in Idaho and California and all the Teddy Treehouse fans. Yeah, yeah. All the other employees of Target, like that guy who came to try to kidnap him. <laughs> in the red jacket. <laughs> in the red shirt well, and tan pants. I was looking pants. at it. I'm like, there's only about you know 18 minutes left, so they can't be running a kid brothel, too. Like, no. is this too much? And who painted the set for Teddy's Treehouse? It was pretty nicely done. This kid seemed kind of sloppy. Like, he might not have been able to pull that off. The art design for Teddy's Treehouse was pretty yeah, high level. Reminiscent yeah. of Blue's Clues and kind of, I don't know. Maybe it was, it was the people down the street working on Sesame Street did it for him. You think he went into, like, Alpha Graphics and said, look, I have this design. <laughs> I need it blown up. Can you make this for me? Can, can we do a wall decal? I need one of those big vinyls. One of those big vinyls. That's right, yeah. Don't ask any more questions. I need a bike wrap for my bike to, to market <laughs> my right. business. <laughs> They're looking for a guy, like you said, in a red jacket and brown pants. Mm-hmm. And so they bust him and they bring him back to the precinct and he's got condoms and a pack of wine coolers. Yeah. And and then resulting they, in the strangest piece of Finn dialogue I have ever heard. Four pack of coolers and a box of condoms. What do you plan on getting frisky with the hamburglar? Were you planning on getting frisky with the hamburglar? What the fuck did that even mean? Well, he said he was going... I had to rewind that. He said he was going in for a snack. And that I think that's why Finn threw that out. But condoms and wine coolers? <laughs> what? <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. You know, I do commend him, though, on, on his plan to have safe sex with the boy he just met on the internet. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let me teach you. God damn <laughs> But, you know, he. This is. can I say this? It's so gross. He didn't have any lube, though. Right. And he, so, and he, well, what do you think the wine coolers were And he for? promised oh. it wasn't going to hurt. He would show him how. I had a lot of problems with this <laughs> part of the episode because he's got the wine coolers and the condoms. Great. And two boxes of condoms, it looked like. like yep. This was going to be a long party. <laughs> it's going to be days. days. And so I, the kid's not going to be back for his dinner curfew. Yeah. You know, he's definitely not making it back for 10 o'clock. But no lube. And why bring them with you into the store? Like, it's so... I would not walk around with a bag full of condoms and wine coolers, like, for fear that someone would be like, what are you planning here? It just seems wrong to me. It's a little obvious. I'm still stuck on the Hamburglar thing. I would love to know what was going through Ice-T's mind when he said that line. Did he... Maybe maybe the scene was like it was supposed to be different, and like that was the line that he'd memorized, and they changed something, and he just delivered that anyway, and they were like, ah, let's just keep it in. Maybe the audience won't notice that it makes zero sense, and it's hilarious. Well, because he wasn't at a McDonald's. No. He, he was, wasn't. He was like at a Seven Eleven, and he didn't have anything black and white striped in the bag. I mean, maybe he, maybe he meant grimace because it was a wine cooler. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know either. It's a mystery. <laughs> so it looks like within two weeks, Benson became Edward Snowden. <laughs> right. She really had some mad skills with the hacking, I think. And loved yeah. it. And of note, when she returns to SVU several seasons later, apparently she has no computer skills because Rollins is doing all of the fancy computer stuff. So it didn't stick, which is unfortunate. Yeah. All of a sudden she can no longer swipe left on all yes. of those. PowerPoints, yeah. fancy PowerPoints. Yes, but it is. I don't want to say that I'm regretful that her clearly inadmissible constitutional violations were forgotten, but it did seem like she was real into the tech there. 
in a way that was super discordant with her character. She obviously had gone to a class like at ITT Tech and she had learned <laughs> all of this. She was going to repurpose herself. Yeah, exactly. She was going to get a whole new career. And then the other thing that tripped me up was just the bureaucracy. She can't just move among and between these departments right. of the NYPD like, oh, hey, I'm back. It does not work that way. Going out, boss! <laughs> and I was wondering the whole time, first of all, they went to her. Like, do they have a warrant to go to her to get this done? No. Then she's just out helping them investigate. Weren't her bosses wondering, like, where did she go? Like, over, like, her desk is empty. She's right. just doing, like, you know, she's in some random van with the SVU guys. And why is she wearing this suspiciously baggy trench coat? <laughs> well, and aren't and there... hiding behind these computer monitors. Giant computer Giant monitors. Computer and monitors. aren't there rules about, like, what investigations you can share with other people? I don't think you can just bring in whatever cop or coworker you want on every single investigation. Yeah. So. It just seemed odd to me. Yeah. Why does she know more about computers than Morales, who's been working the case? In, in the case, and he's been in that unit for years. Yes, he's the guy they're going to with all their IT stuff. He's the one who found the pixel in the file that revealed all of these subscribers. But no, they need Benson and her magic software, her magic constitutionally violating software, to get the job done. Well, fortunately for Stabler, when he got into that fight, all the kidnappers' furniture was made of balsa wood from IKEA. <laughs> I love that coffee table that broke because you have to break a coffee table whenever you're using excessive force. Like, why throw that guy to the ground? Made no sense. It was great because the only time you actually see the kidnapper's face is like when Stabler kind of goes in and picks him up and you can just see him go, he like makes a jump and down on the coffee table. This was the second beatdown scene in the episode. Don't forget about Morales's beating up that guy in the um, interrogation oh, room. That was the other constitutional violation yep. I forgot about. And who lets their IT guy interrogate somebody? <laughs> they, he snuck in there, apparently. And then, then he shared his own deeply personal story of wait, 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 rage. So, just for a second. He was the second IT guy coming into that room because Benson was going, wait a minute, I know more IT than you. Let me have at him. Right, right. Yeah, it was it was something. But that, that scene where Stabler was beating that dude up, it went on like five to six seconds longer than that normally would go well, on. Well, I, I'm going to defend Stabler here. The guy was still resisting until finally that one punch took him out. I think looking through the lens of today's society, we might say, God damn it, Stabler, you need to go to <laughs> anger management. Which happens, by the way, several times in SVU. He actually yeah. does have to do that because he does have an anger problem. Stabler's well, an asshole. We were treated to a lot of Stabler lingering gazes in this where he just stares at the camera for like one or two <laughs> seconds to let you know that this is very serious. Very personal. And I think they looked at this and said, we have to be so sensitive to this topic and then they just ran a monster truck right through it. Like, <laughs> so the pedophiles that we know of are a teacher. Let's scare all the parents. Mm-hmm. And a pediatrician. Right, right. Like, can you imagine you're at the pediatrician and the cops come in to arrest him and you're like, okay, well, we'll see you tomorrow. I guess we'll just reschedule. <laughs> he won't be back. Like, How will I get my strep test results? <laughs> <laughs> so, so many things were wrong and heavy handed. But that's what I love about Law and Order is the heavy handedness of it. Well, again, when you're doing this computer check, Benson goes click, 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 click. Oh, that computer's in a hospital where there's like <laughs> 5,000 computers. computers. It's like, oh, we'll know exactly the right one. Grab this guy. Yeah. Looks like that might be his computer. Well, and he wasn't even on a computer. They just went in and got him. Yeah. yeah. And they knew which computer. And then when they pinpointed the computer to an apartment, I didn't say which apartment. Like, <laughs> I'm assuming that whatever that address was on the Upper East Side is not a, just a single family home. They went into an apartment building and knew which apartment it was. Well, for the sake of time, they had to edit out the three other doors they kicked down looking for, <laughs> right, right, exactly. for Teddy, who in the end immediately makes a turnaround. Like, he goes to contrite 
in like three, two, one, boom. I'm so sorry. And then everything's cool. And then everything's cool, right? Yeah. Forget your years of making pornography on the internet. Forget the million dollars of income that you've hidden from me, son. Forget the fact that you've been diddling your brother. We're good now. We're good because you apologized. And forget about the fact that when he was first asked about his brother and molesting him, his response was, so? (laughs) (laughs) And then... I was molested. I'm fine. I was mo- it was great. It was fine. I was I t- molested. I made a business out of it. It's and America. So it was no big deal. And then he obviously did not listen to his lawyer. Every lawyer's first piece of advice in a criminal setting is shut the hell up. I'm going to give you all that as free legal advice. Shut up. Don't say anything until your lawyer tells you to say something. So he didn't listen. He's like, yeah, I did it. So what? Who cares? And then mom's like, fine, no problem. Yeah. Oh, and then sends the little kid to grandma's. Right. Yeah. yeah, and then everyone reunites at the end. It's like that after-school special that was on when we were kids, something about Amelia, <laughs> which you may or may not remember. Uh, look it up, listeners, if you've never heard of this. It was totally effed up. Ted Danson plays a child-molesting dad who's molesting his daughter. Glenn Close plays his wife. And in typical early 80s fashion, the way it resolves itself is that, yes, there's intervention, he gets arrested or whatever, but at the end... They get reunited like a happy family because he's going to therapy now and it's all going to be fine. This reminded me of that. It was super creepy. Well, and I liked that Teddy was going to get like the 18 months of residential treatment they thought he needed. You know, <laughs> he's going to be cured. It's no problem. We all know that this just works out for the best. That's and right. No, he's not a psychopath at all that he molested his No brother. recidivism at all among child molesters. Right. Right? No, no. In fact, I think what probably could have happened when he got out is he could have contacted that puppeteer and they could have repurposed <laughs> Teddy's treehouse as like a complete, like, like a PBS show. That's true. They're like, we have the website domain. <laughs> We have the sets. We have the sets. We have all these subscribers. We have the logo. <laughs> well, and they didn't tell us we about all the- have a Stripe the... account so we can process all the credit cards. They didn't tell us about the other charges he would be facing, too. Like, he's got false imprisonment of his brother. He's got- Transmission tax... of yes. uh, child porn across the internet, which yes. is a federal crime. Huge crime. He's got tax evasion. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of problems that are not going to be resolved with 18 months of inpatient therapy. Bad hair. He had bad hair, <laughs> bad hair. And then the poor dad, the ex-husband, who's you know now being dragged through the mud, he seems to be okay, you know, living with his sister. And- Who works at Flingers. Oh, she had so much flair. It reminded <laughs> me of Office Space. <laughs> right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. Please don't let there be puppets. Please don't let there be puppets. You think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. This episode is based on the story of Justin Berry. At age 13, Justin began doing a webcam show from the bedroom of his California home. In no time, child predators were contacting him, asking him to perform sexual acts for the camera. The men bought gifts or sent money. And soon, the teenager was running a six-figure business. Now, in the seedy underworld of child pornography, men would pay for sexual encounters with Justin. After he learned of his son's enterprise, Justin moved to his father's home in Mexico, and the two started a new website. His father procured partners for the webcam show and auctioned his own son off to the highest online bidder. In 2005, New York Times reporter Kurt Eichenwald stumbled across the webpage and, posing as a famous musician, convinced the 18-year-old to meet him. The journalist urged Justin to get out of the business. Facing possible charges for creating child pornography with himself and others, Justin asked the FBI for immunity. In exchange, he turned over the identities of hundreds of child porn subscribers. A year later, Justin Berry testified before Congress about the problems of child sexual exploitation. 
I remember that story. I remember Eichenwald was in trouble for a while around that Right, story. like yeah. how do you stumble on that website? <laughs> and also because he was participating, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he really did put himself... In peril. Yeah, he. I mean, because it sounds like, you know, that lame excuse that every reporter gives when they're caught with child pornography. I was doing a story. <laughs> <laughs> every reporter? Is that the excuse right. you gave when you were caught with child pornography? No. <laughs> that is... Worse than the story. Yeah, it's worse. The father being involved makes it so much worse. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. So just show of hands, who here thinks it's a still a good idea for let their teenager do a webcam show? Well, well, how else do you pay for college? <laughs> <laughs> but they're all doing it now on YouTube. I think I think the difference between then and now is that YouTubers and YouTubing around like video games and pop culture stuff has become so ubiquitous that it's like you give your kid a webcam, and every laptop comes with a webcam now, and you assume that if they're videotaping themselves and you can, like, see it, they're not hiding in their room to do it anymore. They're doing it in the middle of the living room, and they're talking about stupid video games. It's almost like they have been sensitized because we're so oversensitive that, like, I would never do that. But no. they're, they're I'm still going home to become content. Amish. I'm done. I'm, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. Just like in the show, Justin was in the unique position of not only being a victim of child pornography, but being a creator of child pornography mm-hmm. with other minors. So in your mind, which factor outweighs the other, being a, a victim or being in the process of victimizing others? It's so tough because obviously he's victimizing others because of his own past that he had been victimized. But there's still no excuse. I think the disgusting person in the real life story is clearly dad. Yeah. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the worst part of it. You think you're going to Mexico to escape this and start a new life and then your dad's pimping you out and selling you. Did you say selling to the highest bidder? Yeah. Yeah. See, the difference between the real life story and the show is that the real life story, the kid was 13. 13 year old is not culpable. Yeah, when he starts. Yeah. Like yeah. like for right. any crime. Like I mean, it's clearly the result of adults manipulating this kid or incentivizing him with gifts and whatever. And it's like when you're thirteen, you cannot make those kinds of decisions unless you are like a sociopath, which I don't think this kid is, otherwise you wouldn't have called the FBI. So but in the show, Teddy is what, like sixteen? I'm not yeah. saying that 16-year-olds yeah. are also like capable of making good decisions, but there is a developmental difference there in, in, in some respects. And Teddy's crime was when he started involving his brother. I mean, his crime was making it of himself, but it does change when you pull your little brother into when the you room. victimize someone yeah. else. Yeah, and it sounds yeah. like in the real story, it was just him making videos of himself, right? Well, it started that way. Yeah. But then, yeah, other people got involved, and it, was, it wasn't it was a solo show. It's Dad's fault. You know, despite his good intentions, Eichenwall was harshly criticized by other journalists for spending a lot of his own money. To lure, first of all, to, to lure him under false pretenses to meet him, mm-hmm. and then spending cash to help him get out of the bad situation right. he was in. Right. What do you think? Was he in the right? I think it's unethical to spend your own money if you're really pursuing a story. He's a New York Times reporter, right? Yeah, yeah. So if his editor had been aware of the story, if the Times was behind it, they would have funded and supervised through the editorial process this process. So for him to sort of go rogue and do this on his own, if, if that's in fact what happened... Maybe it would have come to maybe he was in that still in that phase where he was hadn't brought it to his editors yet. But that is crossing some lines. I mean, I work in a small public radio newsroom. And when I hear that, I think, gosh, you don't don't have the money to to, to pay a 16 year old kid to fly up from Mexico. Yeah. yeah. And and it, it isn't 
reporters don't typically spend their own money when they're pursuing things like this, right? Right, yeah. right. And just so you know, his wife knew, and it was it, within the family. They knew what yeah, was no, going on. I, I, I know it wasn't the like outcome. one of these creepy. Yeah. I, I do know he went into it with the right intentions, as far as I know, and all the reading I've done about this. But it it perhaps wasn't the best, cleanest path. But what if you're a freelancer? Like the lawyer in me is right. thinking, shouldn't everyone who's checking out child porn just keep a notebook next to the computer yes. and be like, here's a story I'm writing about child porn. <laughs> you know, I am now a freelance <laughs> child porn investigative journalist. I'm doing a podcast about how bad child porn is. And I think there actually are some podcasts where that's happening. And I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna keep notes as I go. And then when they bust me, I'm gonna say, Oh no, I'm not really a pornographer. I'm just a you know, I'm just a journalist. Look at my notes. Yeah, yeah I've got notes. It'd be like that kid in the high school, like citing freedom of the press. Yeah, how come they didn't go after him? You know, he spread out child pornography, too. He somehow got to see an awful lot for someone who was not a subscriber. (laughs) Right, right. Public Facebook page, essentially, there. Teddy, lock it down. But then you can't really know that you can rehabilitate Teddy in this situation. You know, how do you rehabilitate him? He molested his brother. Like, Christmas is never going to be the same. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's true. Sit around at Thanksgiving. Show me on the turkey where Teddy touched you. Oh, God damn it. (laughs) Mom, another puppet? I want another puppet. (laughs) Oh, God damn. (laughs) More condoms? (laughs) That's the wine coolers. Oh, God. We're all going to hell. Well, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank our very, very special guest, Molly McCain. Molly, where can our listeners follow you online? Your listeners probably don't want to follow me online. It's like (laughs) pictures of chickens. If they want to follow me online, they can go to Instagram at Colada Kitty. If they want to go old school and check me out on Facebook with more pictures of chickens, they're welcome (laughs) to do that. Uh, I am not an exciting person to follow online. I disagree. Rebecca, you are a pretty interesting person to follow online. It depends Uh, on the day. But yes, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie. And of course, you can follow our other shows at Crime Writers On and at HGTV Podcast. And you and Olivia Benson from the Apple Genius Bar (laughs) can track my movement on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Square Egg Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media.